Hello, my name is Neil Campbell. I've been a councillor now for 26 years and for 21 of those years specialising in bereavement and grief, both post-death conventional grief and anticipated grief. And in addition, I'm principal of the Campbell Grief Institute, a northeast-based organisation that delivers a comprehensive range of bereavement and grief training courses, supervision for grief counsellors and therapists, and undertakes research projects around aspects of grief. Before I start this podcast, I'd just like to read out a couple of rather fine poems written by bereaved children, adult bereaved children, and it will have some relevance to the podcast that we're about to take part in. This one is a la- from a lady called Karen Ethel's Data. It's called The Memories Return. Don't worry, Rachel said, if your memories of your mother disappear. After a few months, they will be back, fresher than ever. And it's true. The memories of her last difficult days have faded. And two days ago, she appeared to me wearing the green and white striped cotton dress that she had when I was a kid and she was in her forties. Her lovely dark hair, yet to be lovely silver. Today, I wore her string of pearls, knowing that wearing them against the skin renews their luster. And this second one is called Simply Growing Up, and it's by Patricia Skuggs. My father died that winter. I was 41. Over his bed hung my drawing of seagulls, sketched the summer I cried when my fishing line tangled in the propeller of his boat. To support his brave show, I did not cry in the hospital, but concentrated on small things, like the borrowed snow boots pinching my feet or voices echoing in the hall. Cyclamen bloomed on the window ledge, pink against the snow, as he held my hand and called me his little girl. I will never be anyone's little girl again. So I bid you a warm welcome to this the third in a series of podcasts, in which I'm exploring some of the more complex, under-acknowledged and yet significant issues and areas of bereavement and grief. And in so doing, I'm hoping that it might just raise a little more awareness and some enlightenment for those who work regularly with bereaved individuals in whatever capacity, be that counselling, therapy, coaching, listening or support. For I've always believed that the more we learn the more we know, the more we know, the more we can empathise. The more we can empathise, the richer our presence. And what a wonderful gift that rich presence is to give to the person sitting opposite us. Back in the first podcast, I was looking at the impact of society's secondary hurts and injuries on the bereaved's grief the stupid things that people say and don't say to the bereaved, and the stupid things that they do and don't do towards the bereaved, and how the bereaved, particularly in those early months, have not just got to face the grief of their lost loved one, but also the pain from these secondary hurts and injuries that society is so constantly doing. In the second podcast, the focus was very much on something different, Bibliotherapy for Bereaved Children and Young People, 
how the use of fictional books, age-appropriate fiction, with death, dying, loss and grief as their main themes, can help bereaved children understand their grief feelings and emotions and start to address their grief. Now in this third podcast, I'm looking at the grief of the midlife orphan, the bereaved individual who in their 30s, 40s, 50s and even 60s have just lost his or her second parent and has become an orphan. 17 years ago, my mother was in the Newcastle General Hospital, seriously ill, while my partner was pregnant with our son, Aidan. Of course, we didn't know it was a boy at the time. But she was pregnant and overdue for nearly two weeks. And we visited my mother every day, and every day that we visited, she'd put a hand on my partner's stomach and said, when is that baby going to arrive? Unfortunately, my mother died on the 23rd of May, and my son was born on the 30th of May, and so they missed each other by seven days. I'd already lost my father 36 years earlier when I was only 14 and away at boarding school. And so, at the age of 50, I became a midlife orphan. And looking back now, the weeks that led up to my mother's death, and then my son's birth, and then his christening, it all seemed to blur into one very, very confused period. And that word bittersweet perfectly encapsulated my overall mood at the time. But it wasn't until my son's first birthday that the loss of my own second parent and becoming an orphan and the absence of a set of grandparents for Aidan began to make such a significant impact. There were no cards and presents for him from my parents on that first birthday. No cards from them on the mantelpiece, those missing grandparents. Aidan had no grandparents from my side and therefore no stories and no anecdotes for him from the Campbell ancestry and personal history. And I too realised that I would have nowhere to go for support if I ever doubted my capabilities as a parent again at the age of 50. And of course, there were no parents standing by my side of the christening font. These thoughts, and many others like them, were then reawakened about three years ago when I started to work with a bereaved client who'd been referred by her local government organisation following the death of her father. She was in her early 50s and her father had just died from a massive stroke seven months earlier, while her mother had died four years before from breast cancer. During those first few sessions, she talked about her dad the type of man he was, the type of parent he'd been, his likes and dislikes and his passions, and about her childhood memories of growing up inside the family and with her parents. And inevitably, she also began to recall the feelings and emotions about her own mother's death and the way she'd died from four years previously. And there she was now, both parents lost and an orphan. One of her abiding memories of her father was of how he used to accompany her to the door at the end of every one of her regular visits home, and he always asked if she was okay for money. This for a well-paid senior local government administrator and whose husband had a most successful plumbing business. Nevertheless, her father would press a £10 note into her hand every time, 
a bit of pocket money for your love, he'd always say, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. A typical doting dad and his little princess. But it was her next comet in that session that really stuck with me and perhaps fermented the idea of this podcast. And I quote from her. I've lost the place where I could go and always be the number one centre of attention. When the second parent dies, it's not just the less the loss of that loved individual, so difficult as that grief will be to deal with. There are also a host of nuances, emotional layers and supplemental losses to face as well and that we who are working with bereaved clients and individuals regularly need to grasp. The loss of our youth and the memories, all the individual memories around our youth. The loss of the family of origin. The loss of our ancestry and history, almost as if somebody has drawn a very dark line right across our family tree, just above where our name is. And perhaps the end of our sense of immortality, as we realise that actually our parents were not immortal, and that we are next on the escalators heading towards death. We are the next older generation. Perhaps the loss of our sense of belonging and a huge challenge to our identity and the loss of those special relationships of parent-child and of course it could well be the loss of the family home. And if there'd been a poor relationship or an ambivalent relationship with our parents then it could also encompass the loss of any hope that we hold for some kind of change in our relationship with the parents. And of course Becoming an orphan means that the second parent dies and it then reawakens all of the feelings and emotions around grief for the loss of the first parent. And at the same time, reawakening all of the old feelings around childhood dependency and love. What surprised me as I prepared for this podcast is that there has been very little research undertaken or any actual focus on the emotional and psychological impact of the death of the second parent. And yet parental death itself is the single most common type of bereavement. People tend to talk about the death of one parent, whether in later life or in early childhood. And of course, parental loss is inevitable and a major crisis for bereaved children, no matter at what age they are. But why is so little attention given to the adult midlife orphan? Is it because that the death of a parent is considered part of the natural order of things? Or is it perhaps it's because our society appears to value youth so much and that the deaths of older citizens has less social value? Certainly the loss of the second parent does not produce the same level of sympathy and compassion from friends and colleagues and relatives as say the loss of a child, or a sibling, or a spouse, or a partner. For they cannot understand the enormity of the death of both parents and attaining that orphanhood status. And moreover, because there has been a steady trend away from rituals and the traditional rites of passage over the last 50 or 60 years, then the grief of the adult orphan becomes almost like a quiet sadness a silent sadness 
that makes the adult orphans after the death of the second parent turn inward in order to deal with this unique loss. Parents play a unique role in our lives. They are the first major certainty in our lives. They provide us with an illusion almost of permanence and constance and immortality. And if we are lucky to have had a good relationship with our parents, if they were really supportive and loving and attentive, then their deaths end that reassurance and that support. And we'll grieve not only for losing them, but for what we've enjoyed and now lost. And as I mentioned before, if it was a poor relationship, then the children, the, the new adult orphans, grieve not only for that loss, but also any hope that there's going to be some change and improvement in the relationship with parents. Highly likely, after the death of broke parents, particularly for only children, that there is no one left alive who was there at our birth, when we came home from hospital, who saw us take our first steps, and who saw us utter, uh, sorry, heard us utter our first words. Of course, it may sound a little strange, but our parents' deaths could somehow release us from some kind of behavioural or emotional restraints and stress. Our parents' approval was always of paramount importance to us as growing up. Consequently, there may well have been a certain amount of pressure and stress to express ourselves or behave in our ways that our parents would find unacceptable, and their deaths may well ease a little bit of that stress and pressure. But when one parent dies, we become either a motherless or a fatherless child. But when we lose our second parent, we are no longer someone's child. We face a change in status, a change in identity. It heightens our sense of mortality and vulnerability. We are next, as I said, on the escalators going up towards death. There is now no longer anyone between us and death itself. We have become the older generation and we're next. And no matter how good our marriages and relationships and partnerships are, no one will ever love us like our parents did. Like that again. No one will ever think that everything we do is fantastic and great again, perhaps. No one will ever be proud of us in the way that they were. And as well as accruing a sense of mortality and vulnerability, as I said before, not only have we become the older generation, but we've lost our past. We've lost our attachment to our childhood. And so the links between the past and the present, which has been so preserved by our parents, that is now gone. It's been severed. Most of us will eventually have two experiences of parental death. And both these experiences will be very different and very unique. The relationship between one parent and another parent, it can be very unique. The illness could be very unique. The type of death could be unique. So our experiences, the two experiences of parental death, will be very different and very unique. But when the first parent dies, 
children of the surviving parent may well have to spend a good deal of time supporting the surviving parent through their grief, practically, physically, psychologically and emotionally, thereby putting their own grief to one side up on the shelf. So when the second parent dies, the grief for the second parent will most likely evoke feelings and emotions and memories of the death of the first parent at the same time. It may well reactivate mourning for the first parent, a grief that hitherto has not been expressed or acknowledged but has been put to one side. And so the bereaved adult midlife orphan may experience two sets of grief symptomatology coming at them at the same time. And of course another loss for the midlife orphan could well be the family home, the place where we could return to time and time again, to visit our parents but also to re-socialise and reunite with siblings and the wider members of the family. And again, to be loved, to be fussed over, to belong, to be the centre of attention. It has a special place in our hearts, the family home, because it is part of our ancestry. It's part of our personal history. And it was, I think for many, the glue that held the family together, where the family, siblings, grandchildren, cousins, would all come back, most likely on a Saturday or Sunday, to visit the parent, but all coming together. And so the parents and the family home represented a very, very strong glue that held that family together. And moreover, that family home, that can't be imitated or recreated. It's a very, very special place. And so when the second parent dies, the family home may well disappear too. And that could then lead on to affect, quite significantly, family dynamics. For these dynamics often change in the aftermath of the second parent's death. There may well be a reallocation of roles and duties within the family, among the siblings and cousins and wider family. And if the sibling relationships have been close and warm prior to the parent's death, then the loss of the both parents could bring the siblings even closer. However, if the sibling relationships were strained or perhaps just simply ambivalent prior to the parent's death, then the death of the second parent and the loss of the family home could exacerbate divisions and tensions within the sibling relationships, especially when it comes to the allocation and division of parental legacies and possessions and funds and parental instructions. The division of parental assets could well be the catalyst for the final blow to poor sibling relationships. And becoming a midlife orphan Losing the second parent could well affect the orphan's own marriage or partnership. Marriage and marriages and partnerships could well be held together very loosely when the parents were alive, but rendered meaningless after their deaths. The stressful demands of caring for elderly parents may ease some of the tension in a marriage, or it could well have stretched the marriage to breaking point, to the extent 
that the parental deaths could have occurred too late to save the marriage or the partnerships. Of course, parental deaths could also strengthen and hearten a close marriage or partnership as the orphan and his or her spouse or partner experience and faces their grief together as a good team. And of course, what about the grandchildren? Grandparent-grandchildren relationships are very special and are nurtured from the moment our children are born. When the second parent dies, the grandchildren lose something very, very special. And they too lose part of their history and part of their ancestry and part of their identity. So after all of this, it is highly likely that the midlife orphan, and I have found this on many occasions, will experience a period of intense contemplation and stock take after the second parent's death. It could be that there will be significant personal growth as the midlife orphan becomes less like his or her parent and more of themselves. They may well start to absorb some of their parents' legacy into their own set of values and beliefs, choosing which to keep and which to lose, drawing on the late parents' strengths and hopes for them, but discounting their idiosyncrasies and their frailties. Becoming a midlife orphan can be also be a catalyst for personal development, starting to look for those goals that have long been put to one side. But the midlife orphan will also start to recognise how much they resemble their parents in, say, looks and ways and traits, voice, phraseology, words, habits and mannerisms. Their deaths could bring an end to the midlife orphan's religious journey. As we may well have been introduced to religion and faith by them and we then follow their religious approach. Or instead of it ending the religious journey, it could restart the journey and reintroduce us to mislaid beliefs. Parental deaths could point us in this period of contemplation and stocktaking, parental deaths could point us in the direction of less materialistic goals and perhaps a more philosophical and thoughtful path for the rest of our lives. It's not just about the loss of that loved parent, but it's also these extra nuances and these supplemental losses that we need to keep in mind. But one thing we can say, and that is our parents are enduring facts in our lives. And in many ways, they and home, the family home, never really disappear. They will live on through memories, photos, snapshots, bequeathed artefacts and items, and through our constant remembrances and reminiscing. And we will still interact with our parents through dreams and perhaps conversations with them. They never really leave us. Thank you for listening. In the next podcast, the fourth one, I will be focusing very much on the area that I specialise in bereavement grief, bereavement through suicide, perhaps the most complex of all the bereavements 
for the bereaved to deal with. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.